Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. So you hear that first service, because the video stopped working. But I just noticed Leah Ween stole my doubling down idea. Hmm. So late last night when I was driving home from BC Place, you're supposed to ask me why I was just, why? okay. So late last night, I'm driving home from BC Place. Why? Pardon, pardon me? Why? Oh, uh, okay. Well, uh, my son Samuel and the GW Graham Grizzlies senior boys football team actually won the provincial championship last night at the Dome, and I was on my way home. I don't want to brag or anything, but they're amazing. Amazing. But I was driving home thinking to myself, it would come natural right now to say good morning. And that makes sense. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And that makes sense if you're here in person or if you're watching live online in our time zone. But here's the truth. Hundreds and hundreds of people are watching either not at our time zone or hearing this or watching this at a later time. So what do you say? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good tomorrow, good next week, good day. Good day. Paul McCracken says, good day, way cooler than I can say, good day. But I've been thinking to myself that one thing that the last two years has shown me is that even when we can't be together, like physically or even chronologically, we can still pull together. And for that reason, if you're watching online right now, I want to ask you to do me a huge favor. Or if you're watching online later, Leafs jersey. Leafs jersey. You're lucky you're in youth up front because I love youth up front so much I'm not even going to say anything about your Leafs jersey. ADD, ADD. Oh, online. Listen, even if you have a Leafs jersey on right now in your living room, I want you to do me a favor. Text the keyword online to 604-670-3040. We want to pull together. We want to pull. Coach Luke. Coach Luke does not like me. All I can say is Coach Luke Aitchison, Senior Boys Provincial Championship Football Coach right there. Let's that was, man, oh, man. If you have a chance to watch that game on YouTube, you guys, that was the most improvement I've seen in one team over the course of just a couple months in my life. Online people, stop losing focus. <laughs> Text online to that number. We, we, we want to pull together. And we're looking ahead towards Christmas, and we want to think about a way. Like, if you're going to do a watch party, or if you're going to get your family together for Christmas online, we want to make sure it's awesome. We want to make sure it is awesome. Today's going to be a good day, or tomorrow, or next week, or whenever it is. You're going to be challenged in the best possible way today. We're in the second last sermon of this journey that we're taking through the New Testament book of 1 Timothy, which is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to this pastor he was mentoring named Timothy. And one of the themes that you get as you read the book is God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. It sounds kind of cliche and kind of churchy, but I want to drill down a little bit because I think if we take a little bit of a closer look, it's going to look a little less cliche and a little less churchy. So God has a plan for your life, and I think that plays out in three ways. Number one, God's plan plays out in your life individually, just you. Just you and God. God's plan is that you individually would know him. 
And that when you really get to know God, that you would know peace and joy and purpose and strength and forgiveness and salvation. Okay, so the first way that God's plan is going to play out in your life is individually. And the third way, I'm skipping the second way on purpose. Because really the second way is what I want to really drill down on today. Okay, the first way is individually. But then the third way is I think God's plan wants to play out in your life missionally. That God wants to use you and use me to change the world. That we would help others know him as we have known him. The toughest one, though, is the second. So first part, individually, know God. Third part, missionally, change the world. Help others know him like we know him. Second part, together, 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 together. We've got to find freedom together. See, here's the thing. Here's what I noticed. We can know God, right? And when we know God, we know this sense of peace, and we know this sense of purpose, and we know power and strength and forgiveness and salvation, but we don't always live like it. Like, we know it, but it doesn't really translate to the way we live. And so we want to change the world, and yet the world looks at us and says, uh, I don't see anything. And that's where part two of God's plan for your life comes in, and that's collective, that we would find freedom. In other words, all those things that are hindering us, all those things that are holding us back, all those things that are keeping us from living in light of the stuff that we know as we know God, we could step away from them. We could find freedom together. James chapter five says it this way, pray for one another that you might be healed. If we really want to be healed, if we really want to find freedom, if we really want to live in light of all the stuff that we know about God, we need each other. We need to know and be known. We need to love and be loved. We need to understand and be understood. We need to pray for other people and have other people pray for us. And there's just one problem with part two of God's plan for your life. Part one, I get. I get it. To know God. And when we know him, when we really know him, we, we, we know peace and joy and hope. I get that. I get part three. Man, it changed the world. Let's go. Help other people know God like we know him. Part two is a toughie, though, together. Here's the reason why I think it's so, so difficult. Because church people can be the worst. Did he just say that out loud? Yeah, I did. Church people can be the absolute worst. And here we are, see, here's part one, I know God, here's part three, I'm changing the world, but here's part two, it's the bridge between part one and two. If I really want to get to the point that my life demonstrates all the stuff that I know about God that's true about me in light of God, I need part two, but the problem is church people can be the absolute worst. Like, personally, well, I can't believe a pastor, well, I'm just going to be real. Personally, I've been hurt way more by people inside the church than people outside the church. Like, if you ever want to pray for me and pray for my family, I would say, I would love if you could pray for my kids. Because my kids grew up in an environment where Corinne and I told them, Jesus loves you. Jesus is for you. Jesus is mercy and grace and kindness. And yet, quite often in their life, they were exposed to people inside the church who claimed to represent Jesus, but didn't come across real kind or merciful or gracious. The problem with step two of God's plan in my life is that church people can be the absolute worst. And maybe it's because my expectations are higher, 
but it feels like it hurts more when a church person gossips about you or slanders you or conspires against you or wishes you ill or lets you down. But here we are. It's the bridge. Part one, no God. Amazing. Part three, change the world. But we need each other. And yet what do we do with the fact that church people can be the worst? I, I, I thought about it a lot. As I was driving back from BC Place after watching the GW Graham Grizzlies. Okay, so I thought about it a lot. A couple things hit me. Number one, the Bible says that when we begin to follow Jesus, we're born again. And, and spiritually speaking, we're born again into a family. And that family is the family of God. And, and the representation of God's family in my life, in your life, is church. So church is like a family. And I want you to think about this for a second. Let's say you have an uncle who's an idiot. Statistically speaking, you probably do, okay? So, so, so let's say you have an uncle who's an idiot, but like, I mean a real idiot, like a jerk, like dangerous, to the point that you don't want to be around him. He, he's, he, you don't want your kids around him. You don't want your, 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 peep, your people around him. You just, he's an idiot. And I would say to you that if you have an uncle who's an idiot, who's dangerous, and you've got some distance from him, that's wise, well done, that's smart. That's called boundaries, you should do that. But what if, what if, what if you said this? My uncle's an idiot. So here's what I'm gonna do. I am not going to be around my uncle, my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sisters, my sons, and my daughters, because my uncle is an idiot. That wouldn't be wise, that'd be weird. See, what I wanna to suggest to you is that church people can be the worst, but they can also be the best. Like earlier on in this same letter, the Apostle Paul says, hey look, hey look, if there's someone in your church, if there's someone in your circles, and they can't stop gossiping, they won't stop gossiping or slandering or wishing you ill or conspiring against people, just tell them, I'm good, I'm done. Get some distance, that's smart. But what you don't do, if you wanna bridge that gap between knowing God and changing the world, what you don't do is say, I'm out. We can't, we need each other. And as I was driving home from BC Place late last night after watching the Grizzlies win the Provincial Football Championship, one more thing hit me. You know who else can be the worst besides church people? You know who else can be the worst? Me. Me. And, and when I look around this room and when I think about all the people watching online, I think you're probably a lot like me. Really, really doing the best that you can. But every once in a while, not quite raising yourself to the level that you wanted. So what I want to do today is as we jump into 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 11, I believe that Paul talks about how can we be the kind of church that makes it easy to bridge that gap? That makes it easy to bridge the gap from knowing God to changing the world. How can we be the kind of church that's not the worst? Not perfect, but all in all, the best. Paul says this, but you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Run from all these evil things. Contextually, here's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about two main things. He's been talking about it for most of the book, to be honest, most of the letter. Two main things. Run from these two things. The love of money and the love of quarrels. I'm not going to talk much about the love of money today. We talked about it last week. But I will say this, the, the problem with the love of money is, is that money doesn't love you back. 
The problem with loving money is that money doesn't love you back. And what Paul is saying in this letter is it would be good if you're going to pour your love out, you should love someone who is capable of loving you back. Money doesn't love you back. In fact, what money does is money puts you in this race called rat, which is a tough place to be because, because in this race called rat, you're running and 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 you start to think to yourself, listen, man, around this next corner is the finish line. I know it. Just over this next rise is the finish line. I feel it. But you come around the corner and it ain't there. And you, 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 you get over that rise and it's not there and you start to realize that there is no finish line in this race called rat. What's the finish line? The finish line is the sense of enough. A sense of rest, a sense of contentment. It ain't there. So Paul suggests that we do something else. Instead of loving money, we love God and we love people and we use money to, to love God and love people. It's called the upside-down reality of the open-handed life the upside-down reality of the open-handed life. See, as it turns out, experience has shown me in my 32-plus years on this planet that you get more by giving than you could ever get by getting. What? That you actually get more by giving than you ever could get by getting. Paul talks about a double blessing. The first blessing is you watch a video like the year in review video and there's all these numbers, 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 numbers. It's like, whoa, that's a lot of numbers. Hey, yeah, it is. And to me, it's kind of overwhelming sometimes. And then I remember this, every number has a name. Every name has a story and every story matters to God. You know what a double blessing is? The first part of the double blessing is this. Um, as I poured out, God did that? with what I gave, that's insane. Second part is more and more having it reinforced, reinforced in your life. Hey, as it turns out, and I, I get way more by giving than by getting. But the second thing that Paul says to avoid is the love of quarreling. Quarreling. I think it's kind of crazy because Paul wrote this letter in 64 AD, 64 AD, and he wrote it to Timothy, who was a pastor in this city called Ephesus. In 64 AD, there was a problem in the culture of Ephesus. Listen to this. You're going to really have to try to imagine what the culture in Ephesus was like. Listen, are you ready? They liked arguing way too much and being generous way too little. Do you think you could ever imagine a culture that was anything like that? I could. Ours. Isn't that amazing? God inspires Paul to write this letter in 64 AD. Turns out that we needed it in 2021 December in Chilliwack because we're in a culture that likes being generous too little and likes arguing a little bit too much. Seems weird to think that someone could love quarreling until I think to myself, I do. There's a part of me that loves to quarrel, just loves it. I'm ADD. I get bored really, really easy. And somewhere along the line in my life, this is what I figured out. When things get really boring and you're with a group of people, there's a, a certain thing that you could say that will spice things up greatly. Now, you might get punched in the head. You might have people screaming at you. You might have people storming out, but you're not going to be bored. And honestly, from the time that I was a little kid, I remember one of the things that I hated most in my life was boredom. 
And so I actually came to the point at times when I preferred to have you yelling at me or angry at me than being bored. See, I think we live in a culture that has become in love with quarreling. We fight about everything. We fight about the climate. Nice day. What do you mean? Ah, that it's a nice day? Unseasonably warm, isn't it? Oh, yeah, right. I'm sorry. We fight about everything. We fight about everything. I seem to love it. Think about all the times in my life that I'm going to spice things up and say that thing, and I got a little voice that says, Mike, come on, man. Don't do it. We've been here so many times. Just do not. This never works out, Mike. And sometimes I listen to that little voice, and I'm happy that I did. And sometimes I say to that little voice, would you shut up, little voice? You're so boring, little voice. This is going to be so fun. Watch this. And not once am I ever really, really pumped that I did it. Like the times that I'm having a disagreement with my wife, Corinne. Oh, by the way, Paul warns the people not against disagreeing. Of course we're going to disagree. Quarreling is when you disagree disagreeably. Does that make sense? Of course you and I are going to disagree once in a while, but we shouldn't disagree disagreeably. So every once in a while, Corinne and I will be having a disagreement, and I'll realize shortly into our disagreement that she's going to win. And it happens all too often, my friends, all too often, that she's right and I'm wrong. And when we start heading down that road where I realize Corinne is right and I am wrong and I don't like that and I don't want to admit it, I come up with an idea. An idea comes to me and here's what it is. A diversion. I need a diversion. I need something that I'm going to say right now, the nuclear option I'll call it, and I'm going to say this thing and I'm going to, I'm, it's, it's going to blow up so big that we're not even going to remember what we were disagreeing about in the first place. You know what some guys do in this situation? They'll look at their wife and say, hey, you know, you remind me a lot of your... (laughs) Nuclear option. (laughs) So so just before I move on from there, can we just make sure that we're calling that what it is? That's called cruelty. That's called cruelty. Choosing not to be kind. Not once when I choose cruelty do I walk away going, hmm, man, that was awesome. Or I'm hanging around with a friend, and I look at that guy, look at that girl, and I see all these things I appreciate about them. But there's one thing about them that shreds my wheat, that frosts my flakes about them, you know what I mean? And I look at them, and I'm like, ugh. Uh, Instead of focusing on all the things I appreciate, I'm going to focus on the one thing that bugs me. So can we make sure that we are calling that what it is? That's divisiveness. And here's what's crazy. Not one time in my life when I choose to ignore the little voice and be divisive do I walk away going, huh, man, that was sweet. Not once. Or when I look at my kids and I decide, man, instead of looking at all the things they're doing right, I'm going to nitpick the stuff they're doing wrong. Instead of encouraging them, I'm just going to tear them down instead of build them up. 
So can we just make sure that we call that what it is? That's called destruction. When you choose instead of building up to tear down, we call that destruction. Paul says, you know what that is? That's the worst. And if it happens in the culture, that's lame. But if we bring it into the church, that's the worst. Cruelty, division, destruction, that's the worst. Paul goes on, he says this, pursue righteousness in a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. I mean, I like that because Paul doesn't just say, hey, <clears throat> run away from the love of money and the love of quarreling. He gives us some alternatives, and I really like that. He says, pursue faith. Pursue faith. You know what Romans 10 verse 9 says? It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's faith. And how do we build our faith? That same chapter, Romans 10, 17 says this, faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. So I got an idea. Can we talk about that? Like instead of talking about cruelty and division and destruction, can we talk about Jesus? Can we talk about who he is? Can we talk about what he's done? Can we talk about what he's doing in your life? Can we talk about what he's doing in my life, in our church, in our city? Can we talk about that instead? Can we build our faith? So can we flee cruelty? Can we flee division? And can we flee destruction and pursue faith instead? Paul says pursue love also. Pursue love. There's a, there's a person sitting four rows in front of you and two seats to the right. Don't stare at them, but I want to tell you something about them. They voted differently than you voted. They don't think like you think. They don't always talk like you talk. They don't necessarily believe everything that you believe. What else? I'm trying to think what else about them. Hmm. Oh yeah, God loves them, and Jesus died for them. There's that also. And what love means is I ask Jesus to give me eyes to see them the way that he sees them, that I would come to the point that we all know is true. That person is not my enemy. Because there's something inside of me that I want to make them the enemy. And next thing you know, when I make them the enemy, you know what happens? I'm being cruel. I'm being divisive. I'm being destructive. That's the worst. Paul says, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue perseverance. That's a good one. It's a good one for me having ADD because I get bored easily. So perseverance is tough at times. Years ago, Eugene Peterson wrote a book and I just love the title because I think it's just a beautiful description of perseverance. He called it, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I want my life to be that. I, I, I want my life to be a long obedience towards faith, a long obedience towards love, a long obedience towards kindness, a long obedience towards unity, a long obedience towards encouragement. That's what I want my life to be. And it's so important. You know why? Because that moment, right? You've been... You've been kind for like seven straight days. Seven days and you're sick of it. And that one moment, that one moment that you least feel like being kind, that's the moment that you really, really needed to be kind. 
that one moment when you least felt like cherishing and honoring and loving your spouse, that's the moment that you're so glad that you did. That, that, that one moment when you least feel like making a phone call and saying, hey, I know we have some disagreements, but I love you. Can we come together? That's the time you need to do it. That's perseverance. Or how about something as simple as this? The one time that you feel least like tuning in online or showing up at church, man, I bet you that's the time that you most needed to be there. It's the power of perseverance. Paul says one more thing that you can pursue, gentleness. I like that a lot. When I was a kid, I hated the, I hated the word gentle. Gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. I thought to myself, why would I want to be gentle? But the older I get, the more I think that word is so cool. Gentleness means this, strength under control. Don't you love that? Strength under control. In other words, listen, you're strong enough to hurt me. Oh, easily. Your words are strong enough to hurt me. Your actions are strong enough to hurt me. You can choose to hurt, or you can choose gentleness, which means instead of hurt, I choose to heal. I choose to help. I choose to bring hope. Strength under control. Paul says, hey, flee cruelty. Flee divisiveness. Flee destruction. Pursue instead faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. He ends this way. Fight the good fight for the true faith. It's a fight. It's a fight. Like we, we, li- we live in this world, and maybe you already know this, but I should probably let you know that if you just stand passively in your life and you think you're going to drift towards kindness, you won't. You're always going to drift towards cruelty. I, I really want to make sure you heard that. If, if you choose to not flee cruelty and pursue kindness, if you just choose to be you're going to always drift towards cruelty. If you just are, you're always going to drift away from unity and towards divisiveness. If you don't fight, Paul says, you're not going to drift towards building up. You're going to drift towards tearing down. You're not going to drift towards light. You're going to drift towards darkness. You're, going to, you're not going to drift towards faithfulness. You're going to drift towards unfaithfulness, which brings to mind one more thing. Listen to me. If you're married here, online or in person, I've been hearing this a lot lately, and I want to make sure you understand. There's people that have been saying this to me. My marriage is such a struggle, so I know that it's not meant to be. My marriage is such a struggle so I know that it's not meant to be. Time out, Coach Luke. Any coach worth his salt would stop and go, whoa, 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 what did you say? My marriage is such a struggle, it must not be worth it. Oh, no, no, wait, you don't believe that? You don't believe that? I know that you don't believe that. You know why? Because everything you've ever accomplished in your life worthwhile has been what? Hard work. Every trophy you've ever won, every accomplishment you've ever made has been about working hard. There's been struggles. There's been battles. Your marriage is no exception. 
I would suggest to you that if your marriage is a struggle, the stakes must be high. There's something good on the other side of this. But if you think you're just gonna stand there and drift towards faithfulness, no. You, you've gotta make a decision. You will pursue faithfulness. You will cherish her. You will love him. If you need counseling, get it, whatever it takes. Three-part plan for your life. Number one, God wants us to know him. And number three, God wants us to change the world, but there's that bridge, that, that bridge where we come together and together we find freedom. In other words, we live the kind of life that people who really know God were meant to live and then the world says, something to that. As I was writing this sermon, a story came to my mind. It's a story that I've never told. I hope it'll help. The story starts in grade six. River Glen Elementary School in Red Deer, Alberta. You guessed it, Red Deer, Alberta. Grade six. So these people come into all the grade six students at River Glen Elementary School and they give us an IQ test. There's about 120 of us. They give us this IQ test, okay? So you all take the IQ test and then a couple weeks later, a lady comes back with the results and she calls me and one other kid into a room and she says, I wanna tell you guys something. According to the results of this test that we gave you, we found out something about the two of you. You're gonna do well at school even if you don't try. If you never study and never do homework, you're still gonna be okay. But you should try anyways. And I wanna tell you, I really took what she said to heart, except the part about trying anyways, okay? Like all the stuff about being able to do well in school without trying, without doing homework, without studying, I really took that to heart. So I started college at 17 years old. And, and I kinda of did college by default. Like, it was kind of like my only choice. I had done some manual labor jobs as a teenager, and it became very clear to me that I had no hope as someone that had to work with my hands. I was terrible at it. So college was my thing. I had to make it work. Now, no one had talked to me about sales at that point in my life, which I think would have been pretty good. But anyways, I got to make this work, right? Except here's the problem. I didn't. So I'm in college, I'm 17 years old, a bunch of us from Red Deer, Alberta, all transitioned from high school right into Red Deer College. And we were living for the weekend. And I remember when we first started college, the weekend was Friday, Saturday, but that didn't last very long. Pretty soon the weekend was Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And, and then we expanded it a little bit more and it was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then obviously Tuesday is cheap night at the movie theater, right? So you go to the early movie and then the weekend is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I'm not doing so great at school. Like I know that I have said before as a joke, it took me three years to get two years worth of credits at Red Deer College. It's a kind of a funny joke, but it's not so funny when you're living it. So I'm off the rails, right? <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm drinking way too much, I'm partying way too much, I'm getting in way too many fights, I'm attending way too few classes, I'm not cracking my textbooks, and shock of all shocks, I'm not doing well in school. So now I'm 19 years old, it's around this time of year actually, mid-December. And I'm in my third year of college now. And a bunch of people left after second year. Some of them went up to uh, U of A at Edmonton. Some of them went down to U of C in Calgary, and I'm still there. 
with a few of my friends, and we're still living for our ever-expanding weekend. So it's a Sunday afternoon, and I just remember being in the library, third floor, Red Deer College Library, and I gotta go, man. Like, I gotta get this. I'm not doing well, and I gotta figure this out because I don't have a plan B. So I'm sitting at the table, and I gotta write two papers and study for one exam. And I've always been good at just kind of writing a paper about something, but here's the problem. I don't even know what something is anymore. I'm not going to class, I'm not cracking the textbooks, I don't really even know what the something is that I gotta write. And so I'm sitting at the table and I'm trying, I got to write these papers, I have to. I have to study for this exam, but I can't. I'm so exhausted from the weekend. And so I fall asleep. It's like early Sunday afternoon, I wake up, it's later, it's like pitch dark outside, December in Red Deer, Alberta. I'm like, I gotta go, man. Like, I, I got to make this happen. So I walk into the bathroom. And I, I just remember splashing water on my face. Come on, man. Come on. I'm splashing this water on my face. And I look in the mirror. And I see, got a shiner under my right eye. Someone caught me with the left, which was unexpected and, and, and great, really, when you think about it. But got, got a shiner. I, I look at my eyes. They're bloodshot and red. And I'm like, come on on like you've got to make this work so I'm standing in this bathroom for so long like I gotta figure this out and I just remember leaning against the sink splashing water into my face and then staring into the mirror and all of a sudden these three girls come walking into the bathroom and I'm looking at them in the mirror and they're looking at me through the mirror and I'm like you stupid? Like you walk, and then all of a sudden it hit me. Wait a minute. When asking oneself, do you think 19-year-old Mike Manis is right in this situation or almost anyone else in the world? I'm like, ah, the Vegas odds would be that they're probably right and I'm in the wrong bathroom. <laughs> and if you knew me at that time, what you might have expected me to do is go, hey ladies, just want to check it out for you. The bathroom's all good and walk out, but not that day. <clears throat> I, I just remember just hanging my head and going, I'm sorry. And I walked out, and I sat down at the table, I'm like, I get it now. I get it. Like all those years when I thought, man, I, I shouldn't drink this much. I shouldn't party this much. I shouldn't fight this much. I shouldn't go to those places. I shouldn't ingest that stuff. I shouldn't do that. Eventually, all those warnings have ended, and now it's too late. Like, like, like now I'm a dude that, that, that can't figure out what bathroom to walk into. So it's over. Like, thinking to myself, oh, so, so this is what, so when people say, the point of no return. Think about that phrase, the point of no return. The point of no return. And I thought to myself, this is it. And when you're 19 years old, when I look at 19 year olds now, young punks, they seem so young. When you are 19 though, you don't feel very young. I remember thinking to myself, I'm just about three years out of high school. I'm over the hill. <laughs> but I hit it. 
the point of no return. And what's crazy is that about a month after that, in the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta, I'm walking up the South Hill and I met Jesus. And I guess this is what I, <clears throat> this is what I really wanted to get to. When I met Jesus on the South Hill of Red Deer, I began to know God. That's step one to God's plan in your life. God's plan for your life. Listen, and when you know God, you'll start to learn about this concept, and the concept is redemption. And redemption says this, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history. He lived, died, rose again. Redemption says there is no point of no return. There is no too late. There is no it's all over. There is no, there are no more. There's always a second chance. There's always a third chance. There's always a 4,643rd chance. Always. That's redemption. And I feel like whether you're here in church for the first time today, watching online for the first time, or the 4,000th, I want you to know that when you really know God, you're going to know what redemption is. You're going to know that there is no such thing as the point of no return. And it's weird because it's the Christmas season. And that's the story about a God who loves you so much that he wanted you to know there is no point of no return. And so he sent his son, a baby in a manger, in a little town called Bethlehem. And it's the story of redemption. And a couple years ago, Earlier, Leah stole one of my ideas. So a couple years ago, I wrote a song for Christmas. No, Leah wrote it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Leah wrote it. It's called Peace Came Down. And when I was thinking about it this week, I listened to it over and over and over again. I thought to myself, that's it. That's redemption. That's Christmas. That's a life where there is no such thing as the point of no return. So what I asked Brianna and Leah to do is just sing, play the song. And what I'm going to ask you to do is for a bit of a change of pace, why don't you just stay seated? And my prayer for you is that whether you're joining us for the first time or the 4,000th while they're playing the song, that you would begin to know God even better. Rays will reach your skin. 
darkness without darkness within yet unto us a child is born a shining light for all who mourn love is here to heal your heart God with us is peace on earth when you in pieces life provides when you're living with a broken heart and holding on you fall apart yet unto us a child is born a child
I want to get to know him better. Let's just take a time of reflection, if you don't mind. Just close your eyes and bow your head just for a moment. See, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. I'm guessing you're not where I was back at 19 years old where you can't figure out which bathroom to walk into, but maybe you are at a point where you realize, man, there is no second chance for me. There is no opportunity for me, and I want to talk to you about redemption. I want to suggest to you that we celebrate Christmas because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history for you, died for you, rose again for you, so there is no point of no return for you and for me. So I want to give you that opportunity, whether you're watching online right now or you're here in person with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if this is the day that you say, Jesus, I need you. I want to invite you into my life. I'm going to ask you right now just to raise your hand up nice and high so I can pray for you. Amazing. Whether you're online or in person, you can put your hand down if you raised it. And I'm going to pray out loud, and I just ask you to pray along with me silently. So, dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you were born in a manger in a stable called, in a little town called Bethlehem, and you grew up to show us what the character of God really looks like. Love, mercy, grace, forgiveness, strength. So today, Jesus, I invite you to be my savior. I hand you my sin and my shame and my regrets, and today I move past my past. I pray for a new start, a new beginning. And today, Jesus, I invite you to be my Lord, that just as you rose again, that you'd help me rise to the occasion, to the day, to the moment, to become the person you created me to be, one next step at a time, today, tomorrow, and forever. I pray this in your name. Amen. Let's celebrate, guys. Just, just two more things before I close. So I'm sitting in that third floor of the Red Deer College Library when I was 19 years old, and I know I started this thing out by saying church people can be the worst. You know what they can. But you know what my life has shown me? Man, they can also be the best. The best. I look at my life right now, and I would never, ever, ever have the joy and the gratitude and the hope that I have if it wasn't for the amazing people that God has brought into my life. I want us to pull together. So I want to ask you to do me a favor. If you're online or if you're in person today and you're not part of a community, a, a small group, I invite you to make today the day. Like if you're new to faith or new to Southside, we got, we got this thing called Southside 101 starting like right after the service. I'd love for you to be a part of that. You can find out all the details you want. There's a table out in the lobby with a purple sign. If you're online, you can just text the, key, the keyword 101 or the number 101 to our phone number. Finally, thirdly, just want to tell you I'm proud of you. The third part of God's plan, right, is that we would change the world. And I remember at 19 years old, sitting in that stupid library in Redwood College, and what do they say, like hurting people hurt people and broken people break people? Like, it's easy for me to tell you a sob story, but I was hurting people. 
And I'm just so proud to be a part of a community, to be part of a family, where we can look at a video with all those numbers, all those numbers, all those numbers, and just remember that together, God chose us. And every one of those numbers has a name and a story. And every one of those matters to God. I love you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.